Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Breaking Points with Crystal and Sagar. We're going to be totally upfront with you. We took a big risk going independent. To make this work, we need your support to beat the corporate media. CNN, Fox, MSNBC, they are ripping this country apart. They are making millions of dollars doing it. To help support our mission of making all of us hate each other less, hate the corrupt ruling class more, support the show. Become a Breaking Points Premium member today where you get to watch and listen to the entire show ad-free and uncut an hour early before everyone else. You get to hear our reactions to each other's monologues. You get to participate in weekly Ask Me Anythings. And you don't need to hear our annoying voices pitching you like I am right now. So what are you waiting for? Go to breakingpoints.com, become a premium member today, which is available in the show notes. Enjoy the show, guys. Time now for our weekly partnership with The Daily Poster, and the great David Sirota joins us now. Great to see you, sir. Good to see you, David. Good to see you. Mm-hmm. All right, we got a couple pieces we wanted to talk to you about this week, but let's start with Democrats have made this big pivot. They said, forget about all this, like, you know— Healthcare, paid sick leave, these things, economic things we were talking about before. Now we're going to focus on voting rights with an equally implausible, you know, path towards victory. It's sort of like doomed to fail from the start. But you have a great piece pointing out that even if they could succeed, voting rights alone is not sufficient. It's headline: Democracy alone will not save Democrats. Voting rights without economic rights is not democracy. It's theater, and most Americans know it. Elaborate on that. Sure. I mean, look, democracy is valued in a society if democracy is shown to actually deliver real material gains for most voters. And I think over the course of many, many decades, our democracy has been telling voters that, frankly, that their vote doesn't really matter all that much, Uh, that we have a system of government uh, that one study found just simply does not reflect anything that voters actually want. It does not deliver those things. Uh, and so the the idea of Democrats shifting to uh, voting rights and sort of setting aside their economic promises, uh, I think fundamentally misunderstands, uh, first of all, how to win elections. Uh, but secondly, uh, what will motivate people uh, to go to the polls to protect democracy? Uh, look, 
we have a democracy crisis in this country that's been going on a lot longer than the last few years. We have a, a, a democracy crisis where elections are bought, uh, politicians are owned, and lobbyists write legislation. Uh, that is the fundamental democracy crisis. That's why uh, many times elections don't seem to result in policy change. Uh, and so if you want to actually motivate people to fortify democracy, I would argue what you need to do first and foremost is actually show that you're delivering real uh, material gains to people, passing a $15 minimum wage, uh, passing uh, various economic initiatives that you promised, uh, extending the child tax credit. These are just a couple of examples. Uh, and in not doing that, and then in going out and saying, listen, the election's just going to be about voting rights, is that really going to motivate people when you're showing people that them continuing to vote doesn't necessarily deliver the promises uh, that you made. You know, this is the thing I'm, I'm fascinated by too, David, because it's not like they're arguing they're going to do anything with it. They're just like, we have to pass this. And people are like, okay, why? What are you going to do? And they're like, well, we had to, we just have to. Um, it's not like they're, it's not like they're making a case. You know, yesterday Biden said they were going to break up the Build Back Better agenda, but he didn't say which parts. We went through it, uh, Crystal and I did this morning, and we were like, okay, so would it be prescription drugs? No, because Cinema is not going to vote for that. Would it be uh, the college portion? No, because Manchin said he won't vote for that. Would it be the child tax credit? No, Manchin said he wouldn't vote for that. Or then the two of them said that they wouldn't vote for a corporate tax rate hike or something like that. So what would you actually end up even putting on the floor? Like they, they're not making a case for why they should be handed power or to you know have democracy to do anything currently that that i mean that's the fundamental problem is that is that they're not actually uh, about anything uh, and so the, the the bottom line fallback the fallback of last resort is voting rights and i think it's important to understand that voting rights ultimately doesn't threaten capital it doesn't threaten yes, corporate power in a country where elections do not result in economic changes that that fundamentally restructure uh, the economy to work for working people. And if you understand the Democratic Party uh, and its contradiction, the Democratic Party uh, essentially is trying to uh, enrich its corporate donors and tell voters it's going to solve problems created by those corporate donors. Uh, and so what oftentimes happens is Democrats put forward bills that then get watered down or they put forward initiatives that don't fundamentally threaten the donor class. Now, I'm not saying voting rights isn't important. I think voting rights is extremely important. But again, Voting rights in absence of economic policies that challenge corporate power, uh, that doesn't offend the donor class. But the problem is it doesn't necessarily motivate lots of voters. You can see that in polls. It doesn't right. necessarily motivate lots of voters who are asking if democracy is so important, why is democracy not delivering for me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I always think about Barack Obama with his whole like don't boo vote thing. And people did. They voted for him twice. Then they were pissed off with that. They voted for Trump. Then they were pissed off with that. They voted for Biden. And throughout all of this, many, many things remained the same. We continued to have this, you know, very similar levels of brokenness in our healthcare system. We got some moderate improvements under Barack Obama. But overall, capital basically has control of the system. And that's not to say both parties are identical. But as Marianne Williamson has been talking about lately, like one of them is like death for the working class and the other one is like managed decline. <laughs> so it's not an amazing choice either way. How do you ultimately get out of this? Because as long as they're captured by these people, it's hard to see how they do anything other than kayfabe. 
I mean, democracy, what you're pointing to here, democracy and your vote is irrelevant when they're just going to represent the interests of their corporate donors and, you know, put on a show with Lin-Manuel Miranda instead of actually governing. Well, look, they can make a real effort. They can start by making a real serious effort to improve people's lives economically. I mean, Joe Biden has a stack of executive actions uh, on his desk that he could take to actually improve people's lives. Uh, he could use, for instance, the power at HHS to start lowering drug prices in America. He could start canceling student debt. Uh, the American Prospect has done great work on this. Uh, they have a, a thing called the Day One Project, which is just all of the executive orders that Joe Biden could sign right mm -hmm. now that he hasn't signed. So my point is, is that first and foremost, you want to actually make a real effort to pass a real economic agenda. And I would argue that they haven't even made that effort. Now, I know the argument is, well, what are you going to do about mansion and cinema? Well, there are ways to put more pressure on them. But it, there's always a rotating villain, right? There's always the Democrats always seem to have one or two senators that they can point to and say, hey, listen, those are really the two problems. The rest of us are all on board. But the fact that there's always a rotating villain suggests the fix is in. In other words, that the, the rotating villain is actually doing the dirty work for far more than one or two senators. That, it, that the rotating villain allows Democrats to rank and file Democrats to go out and say, hey, listen, we are pushing, but we're pushing for something that's already predetermined, already doomed. It really ends up saying to voters, this whole thing is performance. It's not real. Yeah, no, I think it's an excellent point. You've got another piece, David, that we wanted to get you to break down for us um, about BlackRock's greenwashing. And, you know, this has been sort of corporate America's hobby horse lately is portraying themselves as, oh, we're not really just all about the bottom line anymore. We got the business roundtable. We've got these statements of principle. Mm -hmm. This is why they all gather at Davos for the World Economic Forum to pr pretend that there are these, like, you know, magnificent saviors of the world, um, when in reality, what is actually going on, uh, David explained to us, when BlackRock is claiming to be these, this like, you know, focused on the climate crisis and green company, what are they really doing? Sure. I mean, it's straight up hypocrisy. I mean, BlackRock has, Larry Fink at BlackRock, uh, the head of BlackRock has been touting himself as a, as a forward thinker on climate, uh, and Black and they do this this letter every year uh, from Fink, uh, and and it should be understood BlackRock is an owner and investor in many many companies, and BlackRock has basically been saying uh, we support companies uh, moving to more sustainable climate policies, uh, but of course the problem is is that BlackRock is also uh, putting large amounts of capital into the fossil fuel industry. I mean. Just this week, Fink put out a letter saying this kind of climate rhetoric, but only about a month ago, BlackRock uh, became a majority owner in a $15 billion fossil fuel pipeline deal uh, in, uh, in, in Saudi Arabia. That's just one example. I mean, it's a company that uh, has pumped money into fossil fuel projects, coal projects all over the world. So it's the classic divide between what is said publicly and what is actually being done 
with the money. Now, BlackRock would, uh, has argued, listen, we still invest in bridge fossil fuel infrastructure, a fossil fuel infrastructure that we argue is necessary to get to uh, better climate policies. But, but the bottom line is, is that BlackRock has become a s serious and significant obstacle to things like the divestment movement, uh, to things like actual uh, efforts to reduce the amount of capital going into fossil fuels. And I think that's their strategy. Uh, they want to have the nice brand. That's why we yep. use the term greenwash. They want to have the nice brand, but they don't necessarily want to actually fundamentally change their business models. And the problem is with the science is if, if a company like BlackRock, a $10 trillion company, does not change its business practices, then the science and physics is telling us uh, our planet's livable ecosystem is screwed. It's a great piece. There's one other piece of this that I think is important because oftentimes moving towards, you know, green energy or sustainability or dealing with the climate crisis is pitted against jobs and support for workers. So someone on the other side might say, listen, not great, but at least BlackRock is investing in these jobs. Workers, you know, can earn a living. Well, we know because we've covered here extensively, they're one of the major backers of Warrior Met yep. Coal, which has those miners have been out on strike for months and months now. All they want is to be able to get back to the wages and the benefits that they had in 2016. BlackRock certainly has plenty of money to be able to make these miners have just, you know, the bare basics of a dignified life. And they have been totally adamant and opposed to coming to the table and, again, giving these miners just what they had in 2016. Well, yeah, and the and the idea that there aren't jobs to be to be created uh, in a green economy is just preposterous. I mean, there have been studies out that show that actually, in the age of automation and the like, that the fossil that various parts of the fossil fuel industry uh, have a low job creation rate uh, per amount of money going into the fossil fuel industry. That, in other words, that the fossil fuel industry is not some incredible engine of job growth, uh, and and certainly not as necessary as big an engine of job growth as uh, re retrofitting the economy to a more green economy can be. So I agree with you. That jobs argument has been has been uh, an argument that's been made against green policies forever. It just doesn't it, it doesn't actually hold up. And again, I go back to the science here. Uh, in, in, in addition to it not holding up, we all have to live on this planet. I mean, how much more stark could the could the climate science be about what we need to start doing? Yeah. Well, it's great to have you, David. Love both of those pieces. Great. Of course, you know, we, we always appreciate you coming on, having the partnership with you. So thank you, sir. Appreciate yep. it. Everybody go subscribe to the Daily Post or otherwise you're missing out. That's right. Thanks to both of you. Thanks, man. Absolutely. And thank you guys for watching. We will have more for you later. Wanted to bring you some uh, really significant investigative reporting around the Flint water crisis uh, brought to light by Jordan Cheriton and also Charlie Leduff. This is a new piece published at The Guardian. Let's go ahead and throw this tweet up on the screen from Jordan. He says, exclusive, prosecutors were on the verge of filing major Flint water crisis racketeering charges against government officials, numerous government officials, by the way, for financial fraud that ultimately led to the crisis before Michigan Democratic Attorney General Dana Nessel took office, fired the prosecutors, and let it go. The long and short of this story, Sagar, is if you guys remember some of the dynamics of the Flint water crisis, what effectively happened is they had been buying water from Detroit. They decided they had uh, 
Governor Snyder installed an emergency manager of Flint, and that emergency manager decided instead to switch over to this new uh, partially privatized pipeline that was being built. And then the other decision was, in the meantime, while the pipeline is being built, which would have gone to Lake Huron, we're going to switch over to using water from the Flint River for the residents of Flint, Michigan. Now, they did not do what they needed to do, and what was documented is they knew that they needed to do in terms of upgrading their system and making sure that uh, the lead pipes that were throughout Flint, Michigan, that they did not corrode, which ultimately, you know, they didn't do those things, and so lead ends up in the water causing devastating poisoning and damage to the people and especially the children of Flint, Michigan. So, there have been long a lot of questions about, was there any sort of like greed, this privatized pipeline? Yes. Was there money that was involved? What were the incentives for pushing Flint to move over to the Flint River so quickly and move over ultimately to this pipeline? And what Jordan reveals here, we don't have the answers to all of those questions, but what he reveals is that actually the previous attorney general had been pursuing an aggressive investigation into uh, racketeering and financial fraud, which implicated over a dozen officials. Um, and when the new Democratic attorney general came in, erased, got rid of all those charges, killed that investigation, and went in a totally different direction. What did they find? Why was that investigation ultimately killed? Those are questions that we still need answers to. Um, so this is pretty pretty bombshell. Apparently, this investigation was looking into potential bribery Again, this was uh, RICO charges, racketeering, uh, financial fraud. It could have implicated the uh, some of the banks that were involved in the financial deal that allowed Flint to participate in this pipeline. That's J.P. Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo, along with a third financial firm. They were the ones who underwrote the pipeline bond deal. Uh, so a lot of questions here about what were some of the real motives at play? Was there actual outright political corruption that ultimately led both to the poisoning of an American city and then potentially political corruption also allowing those true wrongdoers off the hook? Yeah, I mean, Jordan's done a really good job on this. And I did not know about the RICO charges and about why exactly they were let go. But that was the thing about Flint is that it was so it was just such an emblem of such the deeper rot of corruption because it wasn't just the poisoning of the American city of some of the poorest people in the U.S. It went all the way up to lucrative government contracts, to the switching over, to the lying of the actual people, and then finally culminated in the social show of all three presidential candidates going to Flint and Obama famously drinking the water. And then that was it. Everybody just gave up. And, you know, Flint really was left behind. And the justice system was one of those places where you thought they might be able to get to the bottom of this, but the more and more that you look at all of it, you can see very clearly that there was a lot of nefarious action and corruption in letting the people off the hook so it could just, you know, throw up their hands and be like, oh, it was a terrible thing that happened when it was a very intentional process that actually came to the actual poisoning itself. So here's what the former director of the FBI's office in Detroit said, testifying, uh, speaking before a state government committee back in 2018. Um, he said, we believe there was significant financial fraud that drove this. Um, he also revealed that his team, this was after they were fired and the investigation let go, were within six months of filing significant financial charges, which he described as, quote, dropping a heavy rock. That investigation was looking into potential bribery and racketeering. 
okay, it is astonishing that we are this many years down the road and we still don't have real answers to these questions of why. Because at, look, look, here's the bottom line. People were making money off of this pipeline. Exactly. There were people who stood to gain from Flint switching over to what ended up being you know, a catastrophe and a, a horrific source of water for their people. So were there financial incentives involved? These individuals who are investigating were very close to filing charges that would have said yes. And that could have blown the doors open on a whole range of government corruption. We already, What we already know is bad enough, of course. Not only were they poisoned, but there was an overt conspiracy to cover up the fact that residents were coming in with very high lead levels and that the water was testing very high for lead. So Jordan has been just dogged in the pursuit of the truth. I happen to know from, you know, both of us speaking Mm -hmm. with him that oftentimes mainstream outlets, they're not even interested anymore. They've moved on. But this story is so critical, not only because of the lifelong health consequences, but because of what it exposes about our system. I mean, if I think it was Michael Moore who said this, if terrorists came in and poisoned the water supply, of an entire American city. Can you imagine what we would do? Yeah, it would I mean, be Can you imagine what we could do? And this, we're supposed to say, oh, it was, it was a while ago. Let's just let it drop. That's a good point. It really is. All right, guys. Uh, one other thing you should follow Jordan, status quo. They do good work. And um, his dogged reporting on the road is is really important to support. So if you have a chance, go over and subscribe over at status quo. He does a good job. Yeah, he yeah. really does. Thank you guys so much for watching. We're going to have more for you later. Big news on the developments between Prince Andrew and the new civil case against him here in the United States filed by Virginia Gouffre, a prominent Epstein accuser. Judge has ruled that Prince Andrew, the suit against Prince Andrew can go forward, meaning that it will be tried in open court, which is going to unleash a whole lot of stuff. We already know about secret settlements in between Epstein and Virginia Gouffre, in which he tried to absolve both himself and everybody else, including the prince, of any potential future actions that was struck down by the judge, although it still will play a big thing within the trial. But the most important thing that we see is that the royal house is completely abandoning Prince Andrew Crystal. Let's put this up there on the screen. The UK media has been having a field day with this. Apparently, Prince Andrew was, quote, left in tears after the queen told him his titles were being stripped and he was hosting a shooting party for his family and friends while struggling with the decision. Now, what it means to strip titles is... The Duke of York will no longer be known as His Royal Highness in any official capacity and is expected to write to his former regiments with remorse that he had to leave. What it means is that whenever you're a prince in the system, you get like all of these military titles and the HRH title is very important, you know, socially and all of this. I know it sounds ridiculous, but they still have it over there. <laughs> and these are obviously socially have a lot of cachet. It gives you the uh, the ability in order to, you know, go and participate in public works and charities, that thing. That's how they justify their existence. But yeah, anyway, right. <laughs> so the queen has now come in and stripped her own son of the title of His Royal Highness, of any of his military titles. And Buckingham Palace put out a statement saying that the Duke of York will continue to not undertake any public duties and is defending this case as a private citizen. They, I mean, ice cold from your own mom, basically just saying, you're out, we're not backing you, this is on you, you go fight your own case out there uh, in New York. And look, 
Now he's subject to the U.S. judicial system. They don't have this. We don't have the same protections that he has over there. We can subpoena and look into a lot of the stuff. And this actually could be some of the stripping away of the access to power that the Maxwells and the Epsteins had in access to the royal family. So this is a big deal. Well, if you remember that uh, Amy Robach clip of her saying, I had this all nailed, but I couldn't go forward with the report because they were worried about Will and Kate access. This is kind of a sign to the media of like, y'all do what you're going to do. Like Mm -hmm. they don't have that. He doesn't have that same protection that perhaps he once did um, from fear of crossing the royal family and not having access to whatever it is that they're doing. I they, he also apparently had his royal patronages yes. stripped, which yeah, I didn't know what that was. But yeah. apparently that's like you were saying, these are all of these charities that they lend their name mm-hmm. to, which gives cachet to the charities and helps them justify their existence in your words. <laughs> like, look at all the good deeds we're doing out there for the poors or right. whatever. So anyway, those have been stripped away from him as well. And apparently, um, according to this piece... Uh, the military, the stripping of the the sort of honorary military titles was meaningful to him because he is a decorated military veteran. Yes. So he actually cared about this, which I guess is why he was emotional, mm-hmm. although unsurprised when the queen, his own mother, ultimately made this move. Yeah, this is really big. I mean, in terms of royal stuff, this is, you know, like almost a medieval soap opera that's happening yeah. over. And it comes to the heart of the Epstein case, which is how did Jeffrey Epstein, what did he have on Prince Andrew and what did Prince Andrew participate in that made him subject to being such close friends with these obvious perverts such that Epstein as that came out in the trial, they took a photo at the Queen's private cabin um, in some of the most hallowed ground like in the UK, most private places. Mm. That photo of uh, Maxwell on the throne, remember that? Yeah. Where she had the private tour with like Kevin Spacey and Bill Clinton, real cast of characters. Um, although I think Chris Tucker was there too, so he's the only one. I love Chris <laughs> Tucker, so thank you for not being a perv as far as we know. Uh, Chris Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> the four of them together. Look, it's it's That's has showed right. us. I really is. <laughs> it just shows us the access to power and to the levers of high social status that they were able to worm their way into. This civil case will give us even more. Virginia Gouffre has accused a lot of people, for Alan Dershowitz, Prime Minister of Israel, many others, of participating in very illicit activity. And uh, if we can learn more in this case and get the prince to testify or at least get him to deny something's on and off the record, Mm. there's a lot, there's a good chance we'll learn more from this than we did from the Maxwell trial. It said in this article, the queen wants him to try to settle out of court. Of course But that there's questions over whether, because Virginia Gouffray seems like what she's really after here is not money, but justice. Yeah, I I hope she does not settle. So, um, you know, it's it's a question mark whether she'd be willing to do that at any amount because, um, you know, I think she, certainly from her, her public comments, really wants to see some transparency and and truth and some level of public accountability. Good. So we'll drag his ass, Virginia. Drag Indeed. Him. Okay. We'll be watching. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Thanks for watching. We'll have more for you later. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.